today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. According to a report released by People for Education, uh, just 5% of students per high school are actually enrolled currently in online courses. Uh, some are having some trouble with it, and uh, that's why a number of people are concerned about the uh, announcements being made by the Ford government over the last couple of days about actually increasing that. Uh, the goal, we're told, is that of the uh, 30 credits needed for a diploma, at least four of them are going to have to be e-learning credits uh, starting in 2021. Joining us to talk about the report and the uh, implications of uh, some of the policies is uh, Annie Kidder, who is the executive director, of course, of uh, People for Education. Morning, Annie. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing very well because it might even be spring. Uh, it's 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 looking like it. I, I, I'm not sure exactly. if it's it's committed to it full time yet, but at no. least we're getting a little hint of it anyway, aren't we? Exactly. Well, listen, let, let's talk about this because I, I, on the surface, hey, you know, having students that are, are computer literate is an absolute essential. We understand that, but is 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 e learning and, and computer literacy necessarily the same thing? That's a, that's a fabulous question. No, they're not. I think that you know, overall, understanding that technology um, is you know not only here to stay, but an incredibly important part of education. So I don't. Nobody is saying, oh, technology is evil. Let let's get rid of it. So it supports amazing work. Kids are collaborating with kids. You know, in different continents, they're they're working on incredible projects together, learning computer skills, all of those things. Those are very, very, very important. And it's um, also important to have the flexibility to provide some courses online, you know, in in rural areas or in northern Ontario, um, where it's impossible to provide all the courses kids need. It's, It's made a huge difference. So there are examples there where... Um, students are learning. It's it's still live. You're still connected to other people by screens, by all of the fabulous technology we have, you know, so that the, the teacher is right there. You can interact, ask questions. So that's one kind of form of online learning. Other forms of online learning look more like, uh, you know, what to me as a very old person would be like a correspondence course mm-hmm. where, you know, you read the unit, you answer the questions, you send your thing in, you get the next unit, and there's much less interaction with a teacher. So there's lots of different models, and I guess um, we're asking the question, um, you know, what's the educational purpose of this? Um, and, you know, it's important that we start with that, that this will be really good for students because X or Y. We're not quite clear about what that yet. And also, we have to make sure, I mean, what, what startled us was when we asked uh, principals uh, in schools where there is online learning, which in most hi- high schools there is, uh, where they offer it, only 5% of students are actually enrolled in e-learning right now. So to try to go in basically a year and a half from 5% to 100% of students, that is a very, very, very big leap. And we want to, you know, so we're asking the we're suggesting that in fact the province should uh, consult with principals, teachers, uh, academic experts to understand what kind of supports to be need to be in place. What are there some subjects that are impossible to do this way? Are there some students for whom uh, you know e-learning just doesn't work? But you know, basically, we're saying we need to know a lot more. We need to you know move cautiously in this particular area. Yeah, I was talking to a teacher about this over the weekend, and they like this is saying this is like saying you have to pass the course, you have to be able to ride a bicycle while you're doing this. Not all kids can ride a bicycle, uh, and not all kids are going to be good at e-learning. Yet it's now it's going to be a requirement. 
Yeah, so I think and I think probably a lot more kids can ride bicycles than, than do. Probably, that. yeah. You know, so and I think, but it's important. You know, we we all have to be careful that we're all just going. No, this is terror. You know, that we don't just react to things, and that we actually say, look, we got to learn a lot more first. So you know, and it is a little bit worrying that these announcements are coming a little bit like we've already decided this is what's going to happen, and and we're just suggesting let's slow down a bit and let's really really talk to um, to teachers to experts. There, you know, Ontario has incredibly wonderful education you know researchers in our universities. Let's ask them, you know, how has this worked in other jurisdictions? And and again, it, fundamentally, it has to have a good, strong educational purpose, um, because if there's any, if it's just about saving money, it's not a good idea. But if there are other ways of supporting this, and it's leading to different kinds of learning, then we we, sh- we should explore it. Um, but we just have to make sure that we've yeah looked at it from a lot of different angles first. One of the things that caught my eye, and I I wanted to get your read on this if I could, Annie. The fact that as you guys did your research on this, uh, People for Education, only 5% of students are taking these courses, uh, these e-courses now. Why so low? Well, that, you know, that's also a really good question. And it's funny because I remember the first time that we asked this question and we talked to somebody, a civil servant in the government, whose job it was to encourage people to do e-learning. He was so upset <laughs> at how low the number was um, because they really would like more kids to do this. There are some courses that work really well this way. And they're, you know, so he, he, it made him very sad, I could tell. And it's gone up only a tiny amount. I mean, that's the other thing that we've been looking at this for, for nearly 10 years now, and it's, you know, it's gone all the way from 2% to 5%. So I, you know, part of it may be kids like having a real teacher in a class that they can interact with. You know, so principals say, you know, they offer these courses and principals say, but not all students are successful in them. And it, and it really depends on the class too. So it, it, a whole something else completely would have to happen to move these numbers, but you would have to make the courses themselves incredibly attractive and also figure out a way so that, you know, kids are supported to take them. Because it is, like, that is a very small number. And it's obviously for whatever reasons we need to ask students why they aren't, you know, why they aren't taking them now. Um, it's definitely not appealing to, to the vast majority of students. Are they intimidated by it? Well, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm, I, you know, we, we would have to ask them that. No, I'm, you know, and I, it's probably, why would I want to? You know, what, why, why would I want to take a course online when I can just walk down the hall and take it? Um, and I'll be with my friends and I'll, you know, it, for them too, it's, what's the value of me taking a course online? You know, you don't sort of want to understand that. And, you know, so for some kids, it may be just a totally unknown territory they don't want to go into, which case, let's figure out a way to support them to do that. But, and I guess that what the, all this brings up is, these are all the things we don't know. <laughs> and, and we need to make sure we do know them before we implement this. Well, and, and like you say, I'd like to see a little more meat on the bones before they simply move ahead and say, this is the goal and we want to do this within the next year and a half. Yes. Uh, for instance, uh, I mean, you know, I, I think you and I have discussed this in the past. Uh, some students need structured environments in which to learn. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they can't. And I, look, at I know students at the other end of that spectrum, too, that, you know what, you can leave them on their own, they'll get it done, they have the self-discipline to do that. 
Not all students do that. And, uh, and, and to say, okay, you've got to do this right now, what happens for the student who's struggling with this? Is there a resource they can turn to? Who, I mean, in classroom, you just put your hand up and said, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. You don't do that necessarily with a knee, with a knee program. No, and, and, and that part we don't know either. One of the things in the announcement was that they would all be centralized because right now um, they are run by school boards or a sort of consortium of school boards. Um, so what does that mean, too? You can take online classes through TVO, um, but, you know, trying to understand what that part, you know, what that will take. And, and yes, will there be supports available if you're doing your class at 2 o'clock in the morning? Can you talk to somebody? And also... There are some, there are a lot of competencies and skills that you learn at school that have to do with uh, collaboration, with interaction with other people, with being able to test an idea, look at it critically, take it back, revamp it, work on it again. Um, so I, th- I think we also have to look at what kinds of classes work through e-learning and what kinds of classes don't. And that's also, you know, that's just, it's also another question in this. A lot of questions, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and not a whole lot of answers at this stage. And, not and, yet. No. And, and that's why I'm, I'm fascinated with this. I, I'm with you. I don't want to just give this a thumbs down and say this is wrong-headed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the date, I think the timelines are a little uh, aggressive, and I'm yeah. not so sure that we know everything that we're going to have to do to get there. And as you say, the, the bottom line here is what's the net benefit to students and to the system as, as a whole? Yeah, and that has to be in everything that we do, that has to be the question. Now, I, you know, this, this government was elected on, we're going to do something about the deficit, and we're going to balance the budget, and that's perfectly within all, you know, government's responsibility and their, their right to do. But we have to make sure in education, when we're making decisions about education, that we're looking at that educational piece first. And then, you know, there may be ways we can figure out how to do some things more efficiently or, you know, have things cost less than they do right now. But we have to make sure that we ask the educational question to start with and then, and then go, okay, and then how would we fund this? What about accessibility? Uh, this is one of the other things in the report that I, I found fascinating. Uh, 68% of elementary schools, 22% of secondary schools have to fundraise for technology. So it's not there for everybody right now. So, But, you know, the government's forcing it and saying it's going to be a priority and it's going to be mandated. Right? I, I, I'm assuming that means there's going to be a huge flux, influx of cash to try to accommodate this. And, uh, and so they have that sort of technology available to them? Well, uh, that, that's a good question, too. I think one of the things they did say that because some principals in some schools, they don't even have broadband still. So that um, there was an understanding in the announcements that there have, what, they had to make sure the infrastructure was in place um, in all schools. But again, when you think of, you know, is this making sure that all kids, every single individual child has a computer? I don't know, because that's what um, people are fundraising for. Um, so, and there's a real difference in terms of what, if you're in a high income neighborhood, you can fundraise for, you know, all the bells and whistles a lot more than in a low income neighborhood. So that part too, trying to understand whether or not the actual infrastructure and resources are in place to support this is going to be really important. We could see it. We asked schools about, do they have a bring your own device policy? Um, and and lots of schools do where they actually use cell phones. Um, but <coughs> but principals said in you know principals who were in low income neighborhoods went 
well, we have this policy, but people don't have the devices to bring. Or, you know, so we're, it, it's very important. And again, it goes back to how do you implement things that you take the time to look at all of the aspects of it, make sure all of the pieces are in place, that you've understood the complexity of, of what supports and resources need to be there, and then implement it. And again, you know, I think it is really important that we all try not to just react against things. Um, but it's understand, you know, and I mean, anybody who's ever had anything to do with policy making goes, it's all about the implementation. That's often where things go wrong. I mean, we just saw it in the um, the autism, mm-hmm. uh, new autism policy, where it's like, oh, okay, just a second here. We didn't quite think this through, um, and we have to make sure that it's you know well thought through because that is where things go off the rails is in the implementation. But isn't this the same government that uh, that said we shouldn't have cell phones? Kids shouldn't have cell phones in classrooms anymore. I mean, if they're trying to make them computer literate and and and, and ease the, this this transition, it would seem that that's a useful tool for a lot of students. Well, and that's I mean, we did ask about that. So we asked about um, we wanted to find out in in individual schools how much are teachers using cell phones or you know. Uh, whatever they're called, tablets, there yeah, you go, yeah. um, <laughs> for, for students' work. And in two-thirds of high schools, they're, 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 they're using them every single day. So, um, you know, we have to think about that, too, about, um, you know, again, it's technology. So, yes, cell phones, but all of us adults, too, you know, are distracting, are addictive, are we all... Uh, maybe I'm speaking too personally here. I have my own cell phone problem. Um, but, but, <laughs> but teachers are using them, you know, because kids are on them all the time. So, we, you know, this is all part of it's 2019. How do we embed all this uh, in school rather than going cell phones are e- evil? Let's get rid they're They're not going to go away anyway. And I think even the policy to ban them says unless you're using them for educational purposes, and they are being used for educational purposes. And so it's all it's all part of... Uh, yeah, it's all of a piece, but we do have to understand that you know there, the 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 potential in using technology in education is huge. It doesn't. It's not a replacement for teachers. It's not a replacement for that that relationship. That's a core part of learning, but it really can enhance learning. Well, and and that's what this debate has unfortunately come down to, uh, where you know some of them that are supporting the government's initiatives here are simply saying, well, the pushback they're getting from parents and teachers now is because teachers are worried about their jobs, uh, which I think is totally untrue. Uh, I, I, what I'm concerned about is I still think, and I'm not so sure the government shares this, that teachers still play a very integral role in education. And uh, when you hear about teaching positions being eliminated and more e-line courses e- as opposed to to in-classroom stuff, you get a little worried about where their focus is here. Well, and sometimes there's a danger in doing too many things at the same time. And then and then there's a tendency, and you can look at it in e-learning, to kind of lump everything together and go, oh, you know, is this a conspiracy or is this all about cutting funding? And it isn't all about cutting funding, I don't think. Uh, but it is that, you know, that's again where we have to watch on the implementation piece. I- implementing 
a lot of changes at the same time is hard. And it's especially hard on the people working in schools. I mean, you know, we've been talking to principals in schools all over Ontario for years. And and that's one of the things that they talk about is, I, I don't want another new policy or another new thing to implement on top of everything else. And they're, they definitely, they're not, you know, it's not a knee-jerk reaction against change, but it is to say, please, can you keep track of how many new things you're, you're kind of loading on us and give us a little breathing room to make sure we're implementing them properly? Um, uh, yeah, so, sorry. Um, so, we, you know, we have to just watch all of that. I, I mean, from, from a political forward. standpoint, it may you know be advantageous for them to just roll things out one after another, after another, to, and then come back and say, "Look, we're doing stuff here." But you're right, as you said a couple of minutes ago, uh, it's about, it's about implementation, and the people at the other yeah. end, uh, it, it, those in the schools, those on the front line, they're the ones that are going to say, "Whoa, hold on, just a second here," you know, before you throw another ball in the air here, let me juggle the ones I've got. No, absolutely. So I think that, you know, and we will keep releasing reports going, you know, this is what's going on with this. And it is, you know, there are a lot of civil servants up there, you know, working on these things. But it's, but it is very important that, um, that some things be done slowly. Sometimes it's frustrating, I know. And that we're, we're thinking through how all of these pieces are connected to each other, too. So if you're changing, you know, the number of teachers in the school, uh, and, uh, and adding e-learning and adding new policy about cell phones and adding new policy about math, we, we just have to watch, uh, how much goes into that mix. And the impact it's going to have on the students, too, not just yeah, the teachers. Yeah, exactly, because that's, mo- you know, as, on the students, because that's really what we need to be caring about. Annie, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your insight okay. into this. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Annie Kidder, of course, the Executive Director of People for Education. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.